you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. This is the land that yet remains, all the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Jeshurites, from the Shehor, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron, it is counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines, those of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, and those of the Avim. In the south, all the land of the Canaanites, and the Mira that belongs to the Sidonians, to Afik, to the boundary of the Amorites, and the land of the Jebelites, and all Lebanon toward the sunrise, from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon to Lebo Hamath. All the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Mizrapoth Maim, even all the Sidonians. I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. Good morning, Sidonia Hill, Melbourne. It is so good to be back here, uh, here as Melbourne. Uh, for those who do not know, uh, my name is Joel Deacon. I'm the lead pastor at Sidonia Hill, uh, Wollongong. Um, if you don't know, I used to be a pastor here at Sidonia Hill, Melbourne. But then two years ago, my wife and I, during the COVID random season, left here, were sent out by you guys, commissioned in a similar way, uh, through prayer, through love, to go plant a new church in Wollongong. And by God's grace, uh, he has formed a new church, uh, one that is beautiful, one that is diverse, and actually uh, a new church that is celebrating our first birthday next week, uh, which I'm excited about. Yes, just an applause moment. Um, you're all welcome as well. So come along to our birthday. There'll be donuts and uh, pizza. But also, Sydney Hill Wollongong is joining us right here, right now. So good morning, church. Good morning, Sydney Hill Wollongong. Uh, guy asked me to come preach on this passage, and I couldn't find a guest preacher for them back at Wollongong. So I am your guest preacher uh, in a different church. I hope you enjoy it this morning. Uh, hey, churches, Melbourne and Wollongong, I'm going to pray before we look at God's Word. So please pray with me. Father, we just thank you so much for the gift of now. The gift to just gather with your people in a cinema or a school, to open up your word and to allow you to speak to us, allow you to encourage us, allow us to see Jesus for who he is. Holy Spirit, I pray you may be at work this morning. I pray you may convict us, you may encourage us, you may stir our affections so we may worship Jesus, who is worthy of all worship. And we pray this in his beautiful name. Amen. Hey, last weekend, uh, my father uh, flew down from uh, Sydney to Melbourne to meet his brothers, uh, three brothers who he had never met before. 
You see, my dad is adopted, and he's never searched for his biological family because he had a great and has a great adopted family. But I then screwed things up. You see, I was a bit curious as to where does my height come from? Where does my complexity come from? So I did an Ancestry.com DNA test. And I'm going to be honest with you, my first thought was that I just really hope I'm not related to my wife, Emma. And (laughs) thankfully I'm not. But then there was someone that I was related to. This man, nice man called John, reached out to me and said, Hey, Joel, we share 11% DNA, which means either you and I are first cousins or I'm your half-uncle. John didn't know the mystery, but of course I did. And John was shocked to discover that he has a half-brother. And so last week, my dad, after numerous phone calls and conversations, made the brave call to travel to Melbourne to meet his three half-brothers. And I've got to say, I was really excited for my dad, excited for him to discover you know, more about his biological heritage, and yet at the same time, I was also a little bit disappointed. And that's because as someone who you know, doesn't know my biological grandparents or uncles and aunties, like for a long time, I was dreaming that maybe Bill Gates... <laughs> You know, maybe Bill Gates is my uncle, and one day he was going to find his long-lost favorite nephew called Joel Deacon in Wollongong, Australia, and just bless me with all of his monies and inheritance. You know, wouldn't you love an inheritance from a long-lost relative? Yeah, yes, please, right? I'm guessing you would. You know, matter of fact, the human soul, like we long for that sort of news, right? We love that storyline. That's why so many scammers get you on the internet with that storyline. You know, like right now, right here, in, in, our, in our day and age, in our cultural moment, you know, finances are tight. Like if you're breathing and you're in this room, you're probably a little bit worried about finances to some degree. Be it if you're renting or you have a mortgage, like right now, most of us would love an inheritance for some long lost relative. As a church... We are studying the book of Joshua, this Old Testament book, you know, with a tagline, strong and courageous. And we've been going through chapter by chapter throughout this Old Testament book. And for the first 12 chapters, the word inheritance is mentioned twice. But today I've been given the task to unpack chapter 13, but also Guy asked me to do chapter 13 to 22, 10 chapters in a 35-minute sermon. Thanks, Guy. It's probably why he's asked me to come here and preach for you. And what I picked up on is when I studied those 10 chapters is the word inheritance in the next half of Joshua is repeated 56 times. These chapters are about the inheritance of Israel. They're about property boundaries and survey markers and how the land is allotted. And it may seem incredibly boring and dull to us. But actually, if we look closely, we can see in this text and in this story that there are lessons here for us to learn. If we look closely enough, actually what we'll see here is that there's an inheritance that's available to us as well. One that doesn't perish, fade, or spoil. And so have a Bible, open up. Uh, we're going to have a look at chapter 13. I'm going to try and cover and summarize the big themes of chapters 13 to 22, but we'll start and dig in in chapter 13. We're going to look at three themes which cover these 10 chapters, okay? And so the three themes we're going to cover, real simple, land, command, and inheritance. Land, command, and inheritance. We're going to start with land. We're going to start in chapter 13, verse 1. So have a Bible, open up. Let's have a look at this, and it should come up on the screen. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now, Josh, Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, get this, you are old and advanced in years. Now, let's stop there. Um, 
if you want to understand the Bible, like if you're new to Jesus, new to church, you're like, oh man, the Bible's a big book. How do I understand it? Quick tip. If you see repetition, that's the author trying to make a point. What's the author trying to make a point of right now? Joshua is old. He's old, right? You know, like his knees are gone, his hair's gone, or it's all white. Like he looks like death. He is old. Okay? Let's, let's, let's pick it up again. It says this, you are old and advanced in years. And there remains yet very much land to possess. This is the land that yet remains. Now, God then goes on. He lists a whole bunch of names and places in Israel. But because our you know, geography of Israel is not so good and my pronunciation skills are also not that good, we're going to skip that for a little bit. And we're going to go down to verse 6. God says this, I myself will drive them out. This is because he just mentioned all the Canaanite lands. I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel, only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half tribe of Manasseh. Now, like I said, uh, these 10 chapters that then follow after chapter 13, is basically trying to allot the land, the promised land of Israel. And this is really important to the Israelites. And so I thought that we'd just quickly have a look at this and cover this. I know this is a little bit dull, but stay with me here. I've even prepared a map for you. You're welcome. So let's have a look at this map so I can unpack for you how the land is distributed uh, and is unpacked throughout chapters 13 to 22. Picture a map, picture Israel, and what you basically have is in Israel, in this map, is you have, in the Middle East of Israel, is you have a whole bunch of different sections. You have about, uh, specifically, I think it's 10 sections or 10 areas that are split by the tribes of Israel. And on this map, which did look good, but unfortunately we don't have, it actually lists for us all the different names of the tribes of Israel. Let me give you some of those names. There's Reuben, there's Simeon, there's Judah, there's Dan, there's Gad, there's Ashkar, there's Benjamin. There's, you know, all these different lands. And if you're wondering, okay, well, what is all these different, like, lands? And, and, oh, we got it. There it is. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful? Thanks, ESC Study Bible. Gosh, man, you guys are freaking out there. Thank you. Awesome. Okay, so you can see all the names of the different tribes and, 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 and you know, from Moab, no, not Moab, sorry, Reuben, Gad, uh, East Manasseh, you know, all these different things. You're like, what, where do these all come from? Well, these are the 12 sons of Jacob. Okay, let me give you a brief biblical history. In the Bible, Genesis 12, a man called Abraham, God calls to him and says, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation. Abraham has many sons. Well, actually, technically, he doesn't. He has one son, Isaac, but then Isaac has another son called uh, Jacob. And then Jacob has 12 sons, which become these 12 tribes of Israel. Now, if you look at the 12 sons of Jacob, whose name got changed to Israel, a little bit confusing, but the 12 sons of Jacob, majority of them are on the map, but two are missing. And you're like, why is that? Like, where's Joseph, right? Like, Joseph was so good. He did such a good job in the book of Genesis. Joseph was amazing. Where's his land? It's not there, right? Well, let me explain that to you. Actually, Joseph did score, right? In Genesis, it says he got double inheritance because of how faithful he was to the Lord. And so his inheritance wasn't given to the land of Joseph. It was given to the land of his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And as you can see, they get a lot of land. But then there's also the tribe of Levi. Now, you don't see Levi up on the screen. You're like, hey, where's Levi's land? It's not there. You see, throughout chapters 13 to 22, there's this um, line that is repeated over and over again about Levi. Let me give you one example. Chapter 13, verse 33. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. Lord, God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he said to them. 
Um, as, as most of you know, it's okay if you don't, I have three children. I have two boys and a little girl called Lily. And uh, uh, what I've learned about parenting in my, in my years of experience is that if you buy one grape Gatorade for one child, you must buy a grape, grape Gatorade for all three children. Or there is tears and tantrums. Right? Even Lily, my little girl Lily, right? she loves unicorns and pink and holding my hand while we smell flowers. She will turn into a demon. If you do not give her a grape gatorade like the boys. And so when you look at this, you feel for Levi, right? You know, like, like he didn't miss out on a grape gatorade. He missed out on land. He had no land to build on, no, no wealth in, in, in his, in, that he can pass on. No, the, the tribe of Levi, they were given some few burnt down cities to live in, but that's it. Now they were, to be clear, given an inheritance. But the inheritance wasn't land. Their inheritance was the Lord. Their inheritance was to be priests with God's people and for God's people. And so look, this is how the land is allocated, just to go through those details for you. Um, But as you're going through the, the details of the land, I also just wanted to highlight something for you that's so helpful for us, which is how God is in control of all of these details, how God is in control of all of the details. Like he is allocating the property boundaries. He's doing the land surveys. He's in control. Like in verse six, even when it comes to the Canaanite people, he says, I myself will drive them out before the people of Israel. Like time and time again, we see throughout the book of Joshua that God is in control, right? Like he parts the Jordan. He brings down the walls of Jericho, brings down hail from the sky. He's the one is also gonna drive out the Canaanites. Now, it's really important, church, that that when you read the book of Joshua, you don't get fooled and think this book is primarily about the leader, Joshua, or the people of Israel. It is about God and how He's in control, or His personal name as He reveals Himself to Moses, that Yahweh is in control. Like, you have to remember that even the name Joshua wasn't His original name, right? Like, Joshua's original name was Hosea, which means salvation, And in the book of Numbers, Moses gives him a new name, Joshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. And so as we read even these details, these land surveys, we need to understand that Yahweh is in control. And that is such good news because this means that here God is fulfilling His promises. But also, let me me tell you why this is good news for us. Let me just sit down and and unpack this. If, If God is in control of the details of life back then, that is in control of the details of our life here and now. If God's in control, not just the big things, the miracles, but also the details back then, He's in control of the details here and now, which means we can breathe. It means we can find peace. The older I get, and, and I'm sure you can test and test and I guess believe this or agree with this, the older you get, I feel like there's more things to be anxious about. You know, the older I get, I think about my health, I think about my parents' health, I think about my kids and their health and where they're going to school. I'm, you know, thinking about my, my family, thinking about the church, I'm thinking about finances. Like, I just feel like there's always, always so many things to be worried about. Even as I went to this church plant for the last two years, uh, if I can be really, really honest with you, the hardest thing as a pastor and church planner is not preaching the Bible, instead it's believing the Bible. It's believing those passages that are so good for your soul, like Philippians 4 verse 6, 
the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Or Matthew 6, verse 25, where Jesus says to the disciples and us, he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, including the details, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not of more value than they? And so church, can I just remind my soul and your soul this morning that God is in control of the details of our lives, that He knows how much money is in your bank account, that He knows that the stress and the strains that you are feeling right now, He knows how good your marriage is, He knows how your heart is, that He knows how your mental health is going, like He knows. Like, like he knew your life circumstances, according to the book of Acts, because where we're told that God allots the boundaries in which we live in, he knew your life circumstances even before you were born, right? Like he knew that you would be in this room in Hoyts or at Lindsay Park Public School on this day, listening to some tall, lanky dude preach about Jesus before you were born. He is in control. And when you remember that, it helps you to breathe, helps you to trust Him, and helps you just to yield yourself before Him. And go, okay, God, if you're in control, then, then, I, then I want to follow you because you know what's best. I want to obey you because you know what's best. If theme one from these 10 chapters is the land. Theme two that I want us to talk about is the command. The command, the command. Um, Michelangelo Cavaggio is well known as one of the world's greatest artists and painters. He was born in Italy in 1571. He's known as being the master of shadow and light. He is the artist that inspired my favorite artist, Rembrandt. And some of his most famous works are religious works. For example, the sacrifice of Isaac. Cavaggio's paintings are both glorious and yet grotesque. Divine and yet close to earth. Highly intelligent, yet easy to understand. And I hope you can see, even from this painting, that they're a little bit scandalous. They shock people by giving people a new understanding of the Bible's stories. In this painting of Isaac, it is horrifying. And yet Carvaggio doesn't shy away from the painful, brutal details of the story. Instead, he exposes them. He forces you to engage with Him. He forces us to think, what does it actually look like and feel like to obey God's commands? Do you know there's many stories throughout the Bible that can be difficult for us to understand. There's many times where God gives a command which seems ludicrous to our culture. And even in our day and age and in our culture, some of God's commandments in the Bible, which are there for our good, just seem scandalous. Such commandments about sexuality or marriage or sex, I suppose. Like they, they seem unloving and unkind, similar to God's commandment to Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And yet throughout the Bible, God calls us over and over again to obey Him, to trust Him, even when we don't fully understand that His commandments are right, just, or holy. And yet they are. You know, even this story of Abraham and Isaac, it's obviously quite a confronting story. And yet in this story, what do we learn? We learn that, you know, last minute God comes in and says, don't sacrifice Isaac. This is a story that actually teaches us that God is different to the pagan gods around Israel and that God doesn't delight in child sacrifice. And actually that's why the Canaanites end up being judged in this story and at this time. 
You see, in his paintings, Caravaggio understood that obedience to God's commandments requires courageous faith. Courageous faith, which is quite interesting because if you know a little bit about Caravaggio, his life was an absolute mess, right? Like other than his paintings, most of what we know about this artist comes from court documents and criminal records, One biographer said about Caravaggio, he said this, when he was painting, he worked with a laser focus. But when he was finished and the commission had come in, he would drink, carouse, and brawl for months at a time. Like, honestly, his biography is just, man, it's crazy. During a drunken rampage, for example, he killed a police officer and then got away with it. And then another night in Rome, Caravaggio had a sword fight, because that's what you do, with another man over a game of tennis, and then killed the man. He then became a famous fugitive on the run, eventually ended up joining a knighthood and became a knight when he gave them one of his paintings, but then ended up shooting one of the knights and then having to flee from them as well before being executed. His life was a mess. He didn't follow Jesus or seek to obey Jesus' teaching, and yet he painted Jesus like no one else could. Got another painting for you from him. This painting is called Doubting Thomas. You may have seen it before. Despite being a violent drunk, the church back then paid Caravaggio handsomely for his paintings because at that time in history, majority of people were illiterate. And so paintings was a form of evangelism. Despite his life being a drunken mess, remarkably through his paintings, Caravaggio brought many people to faith in Jesus. Caravaggio clearly admired Jesus from a distance, but he struggled to obey Jesus up close. He struggled to follow Jesus and obey his commandments. You know, the tagline of this series is, you know, uh, strong and courageous. And if you remember, if you're here for week one of the series, you know, we unpack Joshua chapter one. And Joshua chapter one, that tagline is repeated over and over and over again, be strong and courageous. But let me read out to you chapter one, verse seven again, just to remind you the context of that command. As God says to Joshua, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Okay? So it's not just be strong and courageous and go conquer, it's be strong and courageous and obey God. And what is the commandments? Well, Deuteronomy 20, the commandment was that Israel would wipe out and drive out the Canaanites. And so a big rhetorical question throughout the whole book of Joshua is, will Israel, will Joshua have the strength and courage to obey this command? Will they drive out the Canaanites? And this is a brutal command. Similar to Abraham and Isaac, maybe it's a commandment that that you don't fully understand. You know, I've been wrestling with this commandment as well. But what we learn over and over again throughout the Scriptures is that the Canaanites was this this place, these, these cities, this culture that was on a downward spiral of sin for so long that it had become hell on earth. They were sacrificing children as part of their religion. They were treating women horribly as prostitutes. And, you know, just like the Allies in World War II, couldn't go up to the Nazis and just ask them nicely, hey, can you stop the gas chambers? So God here judges and wipes out the Canaanites. And so the question, like I said before, is will Israel and Joshua obey this commandment? But as we head to chapter 13, reminder, Joshua is old. Remember, very old, right? 
and there's still land yet to be conquered. The next question is not just will Joshua, but will the rest of Israel continue to obey this commandment and continue to drive out the Canaanites? And so what we see in chapters 13 to 22 is this contrast between one man in particular who does obey this commandment, a guy called Caleb, and a whole bunch of tribes who don't obey this commandment and refuse or just fail to drive out the rest of the Canaanites. Now, who is Caleb? Well, let me just get you up to speed about him. In Numbers chapter 14, um, there was two spies who were faithful when they went into the land of Canaan and came back and said, you know what? God is with us. God is for us. Let's go. That was Joshua and Caleb. So he's clearly a man of faith. A man of faith and a man of courage. And so let's have a look at how um, he responds when Joshua says to him, hey, Caleb, make sure you drive out the Canaanites right now. Well, in chapter 14, let me read out to you what Caleb says. He says this. I love it. He says, and now behold, I am this day 85 years old. He's old, right? Like Joshua. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. My strength is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you have heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I love Caleb, right? Like he gives you like an example of what a godly man is. And what's most impressive about him is, is also not just his, his physical strength, but also his spiritual resolve. What's impressive is his faith, is his courage, is his deep trust that the Lord is with him. Like he's 85 years old, and he has learned through battles and blood, through tears and mud, that strength and courage is about knowing that the Lord is with you. Despite being old, he doesn't fear all those young bloods in Anakim and their great fortified cities. No. He knows if you're doing the Lord's will, the Lord is with you. If you're doing the Lord's will, the Lord is with you. You know, at Sidonia Hill, uh, Wollongong, we're really blessed uh, to have uh, many followers of Jesus who are seasoned veterans of the faith like Caleb. Uh, People who remind me of the power of prayer, people who remind me to just keep on preaching the gospel and knowing God is with us. Um, I'll never forget uh, when we left here uh, two years ago and and we went to Wollongong and uh, at the time we had a small launch team of maybe about 10 people and uh, in that team there was two men who were praying with me uh, and excited about this new New adventure that we're seeking to do for the Lord. Uh, and then COVID hit uh, again, uh, and other obstacles happened. And in that moment, the young blood, the young one, he left. He ghosted us. Still to this day, hasn't talked to us. When obedience was hard, he fled. While the older man, a man called Ray and his wife Gail, who we love deeply and dearly at Wollongong, People who are like Caleb, who have been seasoned in the faith, they said, no, 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 no. Let's keep praying boldly. Let's keep trusting Jesus, knowing he is with us, knowing he is for us. In the book of Joshua, there's this rhetorical question to the Israelites. Will they have the courage to obey Yahweh? And in our day, in our moment, there's a rhetorical question, will we have the courage to keep following Jesus? And his commandments, because look, he has some radical commandments himself right in the scriptures. 
about loving your enemies or blessing those who persecute you. Like, like when you read the Gospels and the New Testament, you quickly learn that like the Old Testament, obedience to Jesus requires courage. Obedience to God requires courage. Especially in this culture. It takes courage, and you know this, to, to humble yourself and repent of sin. It takes courage to tell the truth in business when everyone else is speaking half-truths. It takes courage to forgive someone who's wounded you, as Jesus calls us to. It takes courage to pick up your cross and follow Him. It takes courage to share the gospel, to invite someone to church. It takes courage to join a gospel community and to meet new people and be vulnerable. It takes courage to give financially to the poor and to the church when finances are tight. It takes courage to obey God's commandments on marriage and sexuality. It takes courage to be devoted to the same spouse for years at a time, despite difficulty. It takes courage to seek counsel and advice. It takes courage to put your faith in Jesus for the first time or to be baptized and declare your faith in front of others. It takes courage to keep following Jesus for the long haul and be like Caleb. And it's because that it takes courage, we need each other. (laughs) We need gospel communion. We need to encourage one another. That word encourage literally means inspire courage. Uh, As I mentioned, Emma and I, uh, we moved to Wollongong, uh, two years ago, and it took courage to do that, uh, I must admit. But the, the thing I want you to understand is obedience requires courage, but the beautiful thing about Jesus is not only does he require courage of us, but he even blesses us with that courage. Um, you know, last two years, there have been countless times where uh, I've been getting ready for a Sunday, and I've been coming before the Lord in prayer, going for prayer walks, and saying, all right, Lord, can you please bless this morning's gathering, right? Like, I did it for this morning's gathering back in Wollongong. I'm freaking out a little bit. I'm like, Lord, please bless Wollongong while I'm not there. And what I mean by bless Wollongong and bless the church is, hey, Lord, give us success. You know, like, may 20 new people come, may souls be saved, may just be everything flow smoothly, and yet what I found is whenever I'd pray prayers like that, like, Lord, bless us and give us success, is, is things would go horribly wrong. You know, I, like, I'll give you one example. I remember I went for this prayer walk. It was a really nice morning. And I was like, like yeah, feeling close to the Lord. And then I came back to the house and my brother-in-law was saying it was at the time and he's a little bit injured. And uh, as I'm walking down our stairs, Emma comes up and she's like, hey, so Dylan, my brother, needs to go to the hospital. Uh, and I was on City Kids, but now you're on City Kids and preaching. So good luck with that. I'm like, okay. And yet I am telling you, and I'm promising you this every single time, I said, Jesus, can you just please encourage me? Can you please just encourage me to keep trusting you, to keep obeying you? He has answered that prayer over and over and over again. Be it a text message from maybe even someone here at Wollongong, I mean at Melbourne, or or someone at Wollongong, or just part of the word that just came alive to me. You know, Jesus, it takes courage to obey him, but also the good news about Jesus is that he wants to give you that courage as well, right? In Joshua 1, he said, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What did Caleb say? What gave him strength? He said, the Lord will be with me. Now, before we move on to theme three and and talk about inheritance, I do want to stop here and just give a moment of gospel clarity because we've just talked about obedience, right? We just talked about obeying Jesus and how that takes courage. 
But I want to make sure we have clarity here. Why do we obey Jesus? Why do we obey Him? Is it to earn eternal life? Is it to earn His love? No. Like the Bible is abundantly clear, the gospel, the good news, the good story of Jesus is not that we earn or merit salvation and God's love. No, instead, the radical news of the gospel, if you're new to church here this morning, is that Jesus loves us even when we're at our worst. Even when we're playing up like Cavaggio. The radical news of the gospel is that actually, no, Jesus is salvation. That he lived the perfect, courageous, obedient life on our behalf to save us. His obedience, his courage at the cross is what brings us salvation, not ours. Now, this is important, so listen up to this. The Christian faith is not about obeying God to earn his love, but it's about obeying God because you are radically, graciously, undeservedly loved. I hope you get the difference. You know what still blows my mind? about this good news of the gospel is that, is that Jesus, he's proud, he loves people like Caleb, people who've followed him, you know, his whole life, got strength and courage. You know, Jesus loves Caleb and Jesus saves men and women like Caleb. But also get this, this is what's so mind-blowing about Jesus, is he also saves people like Cavaggio. People who are just drunken and loose, people who just don't obey God's commandments at all. If people like that humble themselves before the Lord, repentance and genuine faith... There is salvation in Jesus, which is such radical good news. And so why do we obey Jesus then? If it's not to merit and earn salvation, well, you know, Jesus says in John 15, verse 14, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so we obey Jesus because we love Jesus. But also we obey Jesus because we love him and we want others to know about his love, you know, like most of us in this room, we can't paint Jesus of, sorry, paint paintings of Jesus like Cavaggio, but through our obedience, through our lives, by us following Jesus and his commandments, we can be little Jesuses for others so they can see his beauty, truth, and relevance. If theme one is the land and theme two is the commandment, theme three is the inheritance, is the inheritance. Uh, a few months ago, I was doing some uh, maintenance work and I uh, hurt myself. Uh, there was this floating shelf that was just a bit stuck and so I got down to eye level and then I just pulled it and it smashed me in the eye and I got a cut eyebrow and a little bit of a concussion and uh, I could say that this really put me in a bad mood, um, but that would be a lie. I was already in a bad mood because I wasn't doing this maintenance work on my house. No, instead, I was doing it on my brother-in-law's investment property that's also in Wollongong and uh, I love my brother-in-law dearly, right? But him and I are just different people, right? Like to save money, my brother-in-law rented out his property without a real estate agent. And to save money, he didn't get any decent landlord insurance. But hey, thankfully, he rented out the property to what seemed like a lovely, nice couple, right? The woman was pregnant and the man was burly with tattoos, but he was nice and friendly. Well, that's what we all thought, right? In reality, this couple actually belonged to a bikey gang, uh, the woman wasn't pregnant. That was a con to try and get the property. Uh, the man was a drug dealer. And uh, we were fixing up the house because he had been arrested for drug possession. We were fixing the house up because he had installed countless security locks throughout the house to prevent any other rival bikey gangs kicking in the house and stealing the drugs. Um, and also, I was there fixing up the house, removing a whole bunch of stuff that they put on the house just to make it look good like floating shelves. Now, to be fair, one of the, um, the couple's parents was there trying to help us fix the house up as well because they were terrified 
that their child had, 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 had stuffed up any future opportunities to, to live in the rental market of Wollongong, which is quite difficult to get. You know, they, they were annoyed at their child who took for granted this home that was provided for them, which is difficult to obtain. In Genesis 12, talked about this a bit, God promised Abraham the, the promised land of Canaan. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. And the promised land was meant to be both a home and a paradise for Israel. You see, all of us long for home, that feeling of home and comfort. But also we long for paradise. You know, our souls long for holidays where we can have joy and pleasure. Now, it's important you understand the promised land of Canaan was meant to be both a home and a paradise, a place of comfort and pleasure, hence milk and honey. But obviously this didn't happen. If you know your Bible, you know after Joshua comes the book of Judges, where constantly God's people are just sinning against God and being judged and ruled by the Canaanites. But the good news of the Bible is that an inheritance is coming. An inheritance that is a home and a paradise. That Jesus is making many rooms. It was mentioned before, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Unfading. Right? In life, things become boring. TV shows, probably me in this sermon, become boring, right? They fade. But heaven's going to be unfading. Now, let me tell you why. Because God is there. Like, if you're someone who's unsure if you want to live forever or not, and that, that sort of freaks you out philosophically, hey, here's the good news for you. God is going to be there, and His glory is going to be unfading. You know, when we think of Levi, we think they got ripped off. The tribe of Levi, they got no inheritance. No, they got the best inheritance. They had the Lord. You know, David says in the Psalms, what does he say? He says, your steadfast love is better than life. And so look, sitting here to, to wrap this up as we're coming towards a close, I want you to understand right here, right now, in this moment, in this time and place, what you don't need is so much is a, a long lost relative to give you a financial inheritance. Instead, what you need to understand and comprehend the inheritance you already have in Jesus. You need to understand that what you need now and tomorrow and the day after that and for your whole eternity is to know Jesus, who gives you joy and peace and the hope you long for. But here's a question that I've got for you to sort of wrap this up. Just like that young couple took my brother-in-law's home for granted, are you taking Jesus for granted? Not just the eternal home that he's preparing for you, but the home he has for you here and now by you knowing him. When you think of the Levites and them having God as inheritance, do you feel sorry for them? Or you're like, no, they got the best inheritance there was. What about us? If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, can I encourage you? Remember that word means inspire courage. Can I encourage you to put your faith in Jesus, to, re to repent of that sin, Repent of not trusting Him or obeying Jesus and actually know that His commandments are designed for your good and for your joy. Can I, can I encourage you to come before Him on your knees, repent and put your faith in Jesus because love is better than life. Understand His gracious love that you were saved not through your courage, your obedience, but His courage and His obedience at the cross. And then for the rest of us, can I encourage you to keep obeying Jesus. Picture yourself what it looks like to be like Caleb, like Joshua, to, to follow Jesus until you are old, 
They're real old, advanced in years. May we be strong and courageous knowing that our courage comes from Jesus' presence. May we remind our flesh that Jesus is better than life and that He is our inheritance and that inheritance will not perish, fade, or decay. Church, pray with me. Jesus, our souls, our flesh can be distracted and deceived, thinking that what we need is things of this world, when actually what we need is you. And so, Jesus, we thank you that you are in control of all things in life, even the details of our life, that you're there, that you're with us, that you're for us, that you care about us. Lord, we thank you that you give us the hope of eternity, a promised land that is both a home and a paradise of milk and honey, and that is given to us graciously just by faith in Jesus' courage and His obedience. But Lord, because we love You, help us to obey You, help us to trust You, help us to be little Jesuses, little paintings that demonstrate Your glory to others so they can come to know and trust You like we have. Give us courage this morning. Whatever You are trying to teach us by Your Holy Spirit, help us to obey You. And we pray this in Your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.